The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church in Ackerman, Mississippi. We invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For more information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org. I invite you to turn with me back this evening to the Gospel of John, John chapter 6. And um, we want to pick this up here. We'll really start beginning in verse 37. But I really kind of want to give an overview through the rest of the chapter. Uh, What we find here in the remainder of John chapter 6 is Jesus is really just preaching the doctrines of grace. Okay? Jesus is preaching God's sovereignty and salvation and man's inability to recover himself and to come unto Christ to receive any type of salvation. And Jesus is presenting the doctrines of grace and the sovereignty of God and salvation. And before we go through that, I want to skip to the end, skip to the end and look at the responses to that, okay? Um, We find here that Jesus preaches just the the truth of these these beautiful doctrines that are not primitive Baptist doctrines, they're scriptural doctrines. They're doctrines of the Word of God, okay? But notice the two contrasting responses to the beautiful truth of the doctrines of of grace and God's sovereignty and salvation. Here, after he concludes this discourse and this message, in verse 60 of John chapter 6, it says, Many therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, It is a hard saying, who can hear it? And they're called disciples here. The Holy Spirit introduces these people as disciples. He tells them earlier on that they're following him for the wrong reason, though. They're disciples that we could very easily, I believe, call carnal Christians, maybe even lukewarm Christians. They, at, at least in this point of their immature discipleship, they were not necessarily following Christ just for Christ. They were following Christ for what they could get out of it, at least in the moment. And notice their response to, at least in our flesh, what might be considered the hard sayings of the doctrines of God's sovereignty and salvation. They consider this a hard saying instead of the beautiful truth of the good news of the gospel. And then Jesus uh, doubles down on that. He doubles down on the truth of God's sovereignty and salvation that really, uh, hopefully we'll we'll have time to come back and and go through these, Um, but he concludes with the statement. He concludes with the statement in verse 65. Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. And that's really summarized in the, uh, the same verse back in verse 44, but he used some different language in verse 44. No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me draw him. Okay? So what's that really describing? It's describing God, a man's total depravity, right? His inability to come unto God and God's sovereignty and salvation and his sovereignty and regeneration and thus the necessity 
of the effectual call an immediate Holy Spirit regeneration. But notice that that was the final straw. They were already hearing some things that that uh, didn't mesh well with uh, even as born again children of God. It didn't mesh well with their natural spirit. And they consider that to be a hard saying. But then that final hard saying of man's depravity and God's sovereignty and regeneration and the effectual call, that was the final straw that in verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. There were children of God that were so offended by the doctrines of grace and God's sovereignty and salvation that they said, you know what, this is not for me right now. <laughs> now, I always hope. I always hope that these people, when they walked away, that the Holy Spirit, you know it convicted them. Yeah. And I, I trust that they came back and they followed the Lord in faithful discipleship in the future. But at least when they were first exposed to the doctrines of grace and God's sovereignty and salvation, their first response to that was not to embrace it, but to be offended by it. Right. To be offended by it. And I think maybe, maybe you might be able to relate to that kind of interaction with people as we tell people about the truth of God's sovereignty and salvation, right? But notice, these are people who the Holy Spirit calls disciples, who were following Christ, not for the right motivations here in this time, but they were so offended by God's sovereignty and salvation that they said, we really don't want to follow him. Even, even if it comes with, with great loaves and fishes and great meals, we don't, we don't want to follow him because we're too offended by God's sovereignty and salvation. Now notice the contrasting response to that. Jesus turns to 12 and he says, will ye also go away? And then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Okay? So, he has just finished one of the most detailed and expansive uh, sermons in the entire New Testament of God, about the doctrines of grace and God's sovereignty and salvation. Some people were so offended by that, they said, we can't follow Jesus Christ anymore in discipleship at this time. But the disciples said, this is the good stuff, right? This is the words of eternal life. And that's what the doctrines of grace are. They are the words of e eternal life. Eternal life that we have been given not by any action in of ourselves, but the actions that have been graciously bestowed upon us by the sovereignty of God. Okay? So, as we go through these, these clear, definitive, simple statements of the doctrines of grace and God's sovereignty and salvation. Notice those two contrasting responses, right? Some people latch on to this and say, these are the words of eternal life, which they are. And other people are offended by them and say, that's not for me. That's not for me. <clears throat> okay, John chapter 6. Let's begin reading here in verse 35. <clears throat> I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on him <clears throat> he that believeth on me shall never thirst but i said unto you that ye have seen me and believe not all that the father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh to me i will in no wise cast out for i came down from heaven not to do mine own will but the will of him that sent me and this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I shall lose nothing, 
but should raise it up again at the last day. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. <clears throat> so Jesus begins to introduce here what we would know as the doctrines of grace. And there's been a very simple acronym that we've used to describe the doctrines of grace, which is the TULIP doctrine, right? The TULIP doctrine, which is T, total depravity, the U, unconditional election, L, limited atonement, I, irresistible grace or the effectual call, and then P, preservation of the saints, or simply eternal security. Okay? And the TULIP doctrine uh, has been attributed by some people to John Calvin, uh, but these are doctrines that are simply taught in the Word of God. Yeah. Okay? Uh, the doctrines of grace is not Calvinism. Right. It's just being an original, primitive Baptist, okay? And furthermore, that those doctrines were promoted certainly by the church, but by many forefathers long before John Calvin, particularly Augustine, many others if you, as you study church history, okay? But for ease of, um, of following along, the doctrines or the main points of the doctrines of grace, we'll, we'll use that TULIP acronym tonight. Okay? And I want you to notice, as we go through these verses, all of the components of the doctrines of grace, or the tulip doctrine, so to say, that he addresses in this sermon. And Jesus Christ makes it undeniably clear the means and the source of eternal life and salvation in the sermon, right? And again, remember, some people are offended by that, and some people say this is the words of eternal life, okay? So verse 37, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. All that the Father giveth me Okay, so there were some people that were given to Christ. Okay, so who was given to Christ? Was the whole world given to Christ? Did Christ love the entire world? Well, if God loved the entire world and there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, tell me how there is such a thing at the end of time as the lake of fire, right? There's someone apparently that has been separated from the love of God, which by the way, um, some people... Uh, try to, and it's not a biblical term, so I'm not too attached to it, but the L is limited atonement. In Tulip. Limited atonement. Some people get all nervous about the word limited and, you know, try to use different language in regards to limited atonement, but when you interact with people in the realm of Christianity, unless someone believes, which is a very, very small minority, unless someone believes that the entire world without exception is going to heaven and they're a universalist, they believe in limited atonement, okay? 
Now, atonement means a payment of sin, a propitiation for sin. And unless you think everybody's going to heaven, which there's some people out there that think that, but that's, that's not a common belief in Christianity. Unless you think everybody's going to be into heaven, you believe that the atonement is limited. Okay? So then we ask, why is the atonement limited? Or how is the atonement limited? Is the atonement limited by either unconditional election, which is the choice of God, okay? How is atonement limited? Is it limited by the choice of God or is it limited by the choice of man? Well, the scriptures clearly teach, right? That all that the Father giveth me, God, right? God made a choice to give a group of people to Christ to redeem. So the atonement is limited not by the choice of man that salvation is offered. Jesus loves you and salvation is offered to anyone that's interested. And it's up to you to choose or reject. And God wants to save you. He wants to atone you. But you can opt out, and you're the one that's limiting the atonement of Jesus Christ. So, limited atonement is either limited by man's choice or God's choice, or by God's choice or the effectiveness of Christ's sacrifice. Okay? Because if Jesus Christ died for everybody, and everybody's not in heaven, we, we, we agree that the, that the atonement is limited, right? Right. Everyone that, that says you have to pray a prayer, that you have to believe, that you live a good enough life, or be eternally justified by faith, whatever bucket you want to put that in, whatever, whatever work you want to put on the means of eternal salvation, I would say all of them would agree there are going to be people in hell at the end of time. They agree there is a limited atonement. So therefore, what's the means of the limited atonement? Well, if you say that God loves everybody and he desires to save everyone, then that means you are limiting the atonement by the failure of Jesus Christ's death on the cross. Right? And by the failure of the love of God that says there's nothing that you can be separate, that can separate you from the love of God. So, essentially all of Christianity would affirm a limited atonement. Right? Now, what would you say the scriptures teach in regards to how and the means by which that atonement is limited by the choice of man and by the ineffectiveness of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And everybody said to together, God forbid, right? <laughs> Instead, what does scripture teach? The, the atonement is limited by the choice of God in unconditional election right. and certainly not limited by the choice of man. Okay. So all that the father giveth me, that means when Jesus showed up, there were some people that were given to him. Who were given to him? His people, right? He shall come into the Lord and save his people from their sin. The whole world wasn't given unto Christ. Amen. If uh, the whole world was given unto Christ, then you're limiting the atonement by the, by the effectiveness of the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God forbid. God forbid. So, there were some people that were given unto Christ. That's unconditional election. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. That's irresistible grace. That's the effectual call. Now, uh, we need to go ahead and skip down to verse 44 and kind of pair these up together. No man can come to me except the Father just sent me draw him. Now, 
all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. What does the word come mean in this verse? Many people would say that the word come here means belief, right? You need to come to Christ. You need to believe in Christ. And if you come to him, he's not going to cast you out. Now, if we look here in this context and the verses surrounding this, Scripture will typically define the correct context and meaning of words based on the context around it. Okay? So, what is the meaning of the word come in verse 37? Is it, is it belief? Now, there's some discussion about belief leading up to it. <clears throat> verse 35, I am the bread of life, and he that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But is that an invitation for a dead person to choose to come to Christ? Well, actually, it's talking about hungering and thirsting. Sounds like people that are alive, right? Yeah. Sounds kind of like people who've already been given spiritual life. So, does the word come, all that the Father giveth me shall believe on me, or is it all that the Father giveth me shall come to me in the sense of regeneration? Yeah. Well, I think verse 44 answers our question. No man can come to me. Is that talking about belief? No, it's talking about the effectual call and immediate Holy Spirit regeneration, right? No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him. That's not an invitation for you to believe in Jesus Christ. That is immediate Holy Spirit regeneration and the effectual call upon the heart of a totally depraved sinner that's dead in trespasses and in sins, right? So... All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. So how do you, uh, in this context, what's this describing of, of how do you come to Christ? Is it up to you to choose to believe and come to Christ or to receive eternal salvation? Well, verse 44 said you can't do it, right? <laughs> you can't do it unless, what's the unless? Kind of back up to chapter 5. He reiterates this a little bit later in the chapter. But how are people that are dead in trespasses and in sin quickened? By the voice of the Son of God, right? And they that hear, not those that choose to listen, but those that he speaks to, they that hear shall live. Kind of pairing these up together. They that, they that hear shall come to Christ in regeneration, right? Now, are they always going to follow him or come to him perfectly in gospel belief and being baptized and faithful discipleship? Uh, the scriptures won't bear that out. But every single child of God will come to him in the effectual call and irresistible grace when the, the voice of the Son of God calls to him. They will come to him in immediate Holy Spirit regeneration. Okay, And then what happens to those that have, that have been called, that have come to him in immediate Holy Spirit regeneration? What's their, what's their destiny? You know, is there any ability for someone that has been born again? Some people would say that, which doesn't make any sense in the entire world. That you've been born again and then you can lose your state of being born again and regenerate, regenerate. <coughs> doesn't make any sense. doesn't make any sense at all. But just from the scriptures... All the Father giving me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. That's eternal security. That's yeah. preservation of the saints. Yeah. Okay? So we've got unconditional election. We've got irresistible grace. And certainly Jesus, he says in verse 38, uh, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that said, what was the Father's will? The Father's will was to choose a people before the foundation of the world. And the Father's will was for the work of atonement, 
to be finished and executed on the tree of the cross. And he said, I always do my Father's will. Amen. So that's limited atonement. That, that is the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, right? Okay, we have eternal security. He that uh, cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Verse 39, this is the Father's will that has sent me. I think that uh, ties all the way back to unconditional election before the world began too. That of all which he hath given me. Again, election, right? There were some people that were given unto Christ. His people that were given unto Christ. That I should lose nothing. But we are not limiting the atonement by the effectiveness of Christ's sacrifice, are we? No, because he's not going to lose Anything. He's not going to lose any that he desired to love and he desired to save, <coughs> but should raise it up at the last day. Preservation of the saints, eternal security. And then, again, he keeps reiterating these again and again and again, right? This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, it says here, uh, which seeth the Son and believeth on him, believeth on him is an attribute of those that are already born again. Okay? It's not an invitation. Uh, let's just go ahead and skip to verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Right? Is in current, present possession of, ever, of, <clears throat> of everlasting life. And then, how does that verse conclude? Eternal security. Right? I'm going to raise him up at the last day. Preservation of the saints. Eternal security. And then the Jews murmured at that. They said, they said uh, I can't believe that he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And Jesus, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? Um, how has he said, I've come down from heaven? Murmur not among yourselves. Verse 44. No man can come unto me except the Father which has sent me. Draw him. We've already talked about that irresistible grace, the effectual call, immediate Holy Spirit regeneration. And the reason why grace has to be irresistible is because those that the grace is being bestowed upon, go back to the T, are totally depraved, right? They have no ability. They're dead. So no, why can no man come unto me? Total depravity. That's the T, right? It all starts with... And boy, it's, it, the Tulip Doctrine is so simple when you just trust the word of God, That's of right. the truth, of total depravity. Because if you get total depravity right, election has to be right. unconditional. Amen. You know, Jesus, God did look out, Psalm 14, throughout all of time and see if there was any that did understand it. See if there was any that seek God. That's conditional election. You know what he got? Nothing. Zero. Nobody. Right? So election has to be unconditional. And then... Limited atonement, which Christ finished the work of salvation. Um, irresistible grace. How does a dead person have the ability to resist the desire to quicken of a sovereign God? He can't, right? He can't. It's a, it's a, and then, is there anything that can, if, the, if a sovereign God desires for us to be with him in heaven, is there anything that can separate you from that? Oh, of course not, right? So it all flows from what? Getting total depravity right. And then the doctrines of grace are so, so simple. Okay, verse 45. Verse 45. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Every man that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Okay? Now, listen to this. Every man that hath heard. Is that talking about the gospel call? What's our consideration here? 
the new birth. All that the Father giveth me shall be taught of God. This is elaborated on further in Hebrews chapter 8. The law of God is written in the heart of every single child of God. And they shall, you don't, you don't, uh, you're not obligated. Now we need to evangelize certainly, but, but in regards to regeneration, you don't have to go to every man his brother and every man his neighbor saying, know the Lord. Why? Because everyone, every child of God, every born again child of God is going to know the Lord from the least to the greatest. Why? <clears throat> Why are they all going to know the Lord? Because they had a really good teacher. They shall all be taught of God. How are they taught of God? By the, by the voice of the Son of God in regeneration. Now, are all of them going to be uh, lining up at all the churches to be baptized? And are they all going to manifest perfectly to the people around them their belief? We won't see that. We won't see perfect manifestation of the fruit of the Spirit in the life of every child of God. But let me tell you, every single child of God knows the Lord in their soul and in their conscience, and they have the faith of Jesus Christ residing inside of them. And you know what? Belief and faith looks a whole lot different in a third world, unevangelized, heathen nation than it does in the Bible Belt and Sunday morning in a primitive Baptist church, right? But even that unevangelized heathen that's been born again, that is, <clears throat> as it says <clears throat> in Romans chapter 2, they are obeying the law of God that's written in their heart. Amen. They, they are following the convictions of the Holy Spirit that teaches them to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. And the Holy Spirit also teaches them to live soberly, righteously in God. They're following the convictions of the Holy Spirit. And they're serving the Lord based on the knowledge they have and the light that they have. But walking by faith in a third world, unevangelized heathen nation looks a lot different than us here in the kingdom of God in the Primitive Baptist Church, right? But even that, even that unevangelized, born-again child of God, let me tell you, they know the Lord. Amen. Why? Because they have been taught of God. Amen. Why? Directly. Directly. Not by a preacher. Not even by the written word of God. But by the voice of the Son of God. Okay, so what's this describing? The effectual call, irresistible grace. They shall all be taught of God. Verse 47, not that any man has seen the Father, save he which is of God, he has seen the Father. Rather verily I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Um, there's a lot of good teaching here. Uh, and we, we could spend individual sermons on every single one of these verses, okay? Um, but just to paint with a very broad brush to give the overall lesson, uh, we're going to skip the section. Uh, he says, I am the bread of life. Earlier discussions about the bread of life. Then he gives this, this uh, picture of unless you eat of the flesh of the Son of Man and you drink his blood, you have no life in you. He's saying you need to partake of me for me. It's not about you getting food out of it and you having uh, this, this amazing meal in the multiplication of the feeding of the 5,000 men. You partake of me, and one of the ways that we do that is by serving Christ and certainly by professing a belief in Jesus Christ, which is how we're baptized into the church. But also one of the main ways that we partake of Jesus Christ 
in this way, in this context, is through the Lord's Supper and through communion. Now, this doesn't mean that uh, the Catholics' false idea of transubstantiation, that, that that flesh turns into the physical flesh of Jesus Christ and that blood, or that, that wine turns into the blood of Jesus Christ. In your, that's not what he's describing here. He's describing the way that you fellowship with Jesus Christ, especially, especially in the midst of communion, okay? So, Jesus is very clearly <coughs> and very unapologetically preaching God's sovereignty of salvation, Amen. the doctrines of grace, and the tulip doctrine, right? You see that? Now, what's their response to that? Many of his disciples, born-again children of God, they were following him for the wrong reasons, at least at this time. It is a hard saying, who can hear it? <laughs> you know, people in Christianity have such a, a misconstrued definition, especially of election. Amen. Especially of election. Okay? And in other denominations, some pastors may just skip over that or say, well, I know it says there in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 that according to you, has he chosen you in Christ? But election, that's for the the, uh, the theology professors in seminary. So you don't need to read that. You don't need to be worried about those high things. You know, actually, the doctrines of grace are not the, the doctorate-level theology and the doctorate-level lessons Amen. for the children of God. It is the milk of the Word. It's the milk of the word. Think about, think about the Ephesian letter. Okay, the Ephesian letter is somewhat of a general epistle. Now it's written to the Ephesians, but other epistles he wrote to the Galatians and to the Corinthians. And you guys are messing up, and you guys are doing horrible. And he's really chewing out an individual group of people. But the but the letter to the church at Ephesus is written to the church at Ephesus, but. It's not dealing with anything necessarily specific to the people in the Ephesian church. It's, it's what is considered a general epistle, okay? And what is at the very start? What is at the very beginning of a general epistle? After he gets around to greetings, and then, blessed be God the Father, blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, what is the very first place that the Holy Spirit goes through the Apostle Paul in the general epistle to the most prominent church in the early New Testament of the church at Ephesus that every one of those churches we're probably going to read, where does it immediately go to? Verse 4, election, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation. Verse 5, predestination. Verse 7, redemption, yes. right? Election, predestination, and redemption is the milk of the word. It is the most basic sustenance for a babe in Christ, okay? Think about uh, Jesus in Luke chapter 4, his very first sermon in the synagogue in Nazareth. He opens up the Word of God. He, he uh, reads from Isaiah 61 and essentially says, the Spirit of God is upon me to preach the gospel. I'm here. Listen to me. What is the very first message he preaches in his hometown of Nazareth in the synagogue? He essentially says that there were many widows in 
Israel, but God saw fit to send Elijah to a Gentile widow. There were many lepers in Israel, but God saw fit to heal Naaman the leper. God saw fit in his sovereignty to choose, elect means to choose, God elected to bestow gracious favor upon the Gentiles instead of the Jews in those two circumstances. What he's affirming in his very first sermon in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, his very first sermon is what? The sovereignty of God in election. Amen. The sovereignty of God. And do you want to know what the response for them were? <laughs> they wanted to pick him up and throw him off the side of the cliff. Okay? You are not alone when people get their feathers ruffled because they have, at least at first blush, a misunderstanding or a, a natural offense to the doctrine of unconditional election. Amen. But listen, it was the very first topic that Jesus Christ, Christ preached in the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth. Yeah. It was at the very beginning of the general epistle to the church at Ephesus. Why? Because this is not theological uh, seminary material. The doctrines of grace, the tulip doctrine, especially election predestination and the finished work of Jesus Christ, those little bitty babes in Christ, this is the milk they need to grow. Okay? This is the milk they need. But notice, some people, some children of God, even though this is the milk they needed, <laughs> they didn't like it. <laughs> they didn't like it. And you know what? I don't think times have changed that much. Why? Because God's children hasn't changed that much. <laughs> right? You want to know why the doctrine of election and God's sovereignty and salvation is really so effective, even to the born-again natural flesh, is because it takes every single bit of credit, every single bit of involvement, every single bit of any iota of credit or glory that you could take for the most important thing in the entire world, which is the salvation of sinners and your eternal home in heaven, it takes every single bit of that away from you and gives all the glory Amen. to unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, and the glory of God. And you know what? Our pride hates that. Yes. Even our born-again pride hates that. <laughs> I mean, good men, men and women, I know you've had these conversations with people, that there is no better news <coughs> for the children. These are the words of eternal life. There is no better news for the child of God than God chose you before the foundation of the world and finished the work of salvation on the cross. Amen? There's nothing better than that. But for some reason, for some reason, people are offended by that. And we hope in time their flesh can get out of the way. <laughs> Amen. And they can see that it is the most, you know, people get so offended by the doctrine of election and, and pretend like just because we use the word limited atonement that we, we think that salvation is exclusive. Everybody thinks salvation is exclusive, by the way. Yes. It's just a matter of how are you excluding people? <laughs> are you excluding people by the inefficiency of Christ's sacrifice? Are you excluding people by the choice of man? Are you excluding people by the sovereignty of God? Right? But it's all about when, when our flesh approaches the doctrine of election with that prideful perspective, we approach it 
because our natural pride is offended and we approach it in the wrong way, where, whereas the right way to approach it is starting with the T of the tulip doctrine, right? <laughs> now, when you get the T right and you get there, when you get to the U, <laughs> if you get the T right and you get to the U of unconditional election, it's not bad news anymore. It's not offensive anymore. It's not exclusive anymore. Instead, the doctrine of election is the most inclusive doctrine that you could ever find from the Word of God. Why? You want to know what's you know you want to know what is exclusive? The sin of man in total depravity. <laughs> that's pretty Adam's action in the Garden of Eden, that's pretty exclusive. <laughs> when you get to the you, boy, it's all inclusive. <laughs> right? It's all inclusive. And then that same group of people that were elected is the same group of people that were atoned for on the cross. It's the exact same definite group of people that are called by the Holy Spirit in regeneration and irresistible grace and the effectual call. And it's the exact same group of people that are going to be resurrected at the last day to ever be with the Lord in heaven. Right? So, <clears throat> I hope that you can receive these messages, these doctrines, this beautiful, beautiful milk of the word that you're not offended by that. Instead, I hope we can say, along with those 12 apostles, these are the words of eternal life. Right? This is the only good news this side of heaven. <laughs> this is what sustains us in the midst of sorrow and tragedy, in the midst of loss of loved ones. Everyone that was given unto Christ, they're going to be resurrected at the last day, right? We go back to eternal security. This is, these are the bedrock truths that sustain us in the midst of all the challenges of this world. But don't, don't miss the point. Our natural flesh is offended by that. Even, even born-again children of God, they still got that natural flesh in them. And don't, don't be frustrated. Don't be discouraged. Don't be mad at a good, godly, wholesome, born-again child of God that they've literally never heard anything other than it's entirely up to you to choose Christ. It's up to your entire salvation is entirely up to you. Don't take it personal. <laughs> that the first time that they hear it's not you, that they view that as a hard saying. Don't take it personal. <laughs> because people have been offended by the doctrine of election ever since people have been preaching it. Why? Because even godly, spiritual Christianity really puffs up our flesh. Even our born-again spiritual natural flesh somewhat, right? And if someone has been told their entire life that it's entirely up to you, if you're the one that is sovereign over your salvation, you know, it's hard for them to hear that you're not sovereign over your salvation. <laughs> God's sovereign over your salvation. But we certainly hope that you can lovingly speak the truth to them in love. Plant seeds and allow the Holy Spirit to grow. Let those, those seeds to grow. And we hope in time there'll be multitudes of people coming down the aisles of Primitive Baptist churches, not being offended by the doctrines of grace, but saying, these are the words of eternal life. And where else are we going to go, right? 
Why else would we go anywhere else that gives glory to somebody other than nothing but God, right? Why would we go anywhere else? May we always be as those disciples that said, not only are these the words of eternal life, but where in that, where else would we ever go <laughs> other than the old Baptist church that affirms the doctrines of God's sovereignty and salvation? We thank you for listening to today's message and invite you to visit Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church for worship services every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Macedonia is located at 11 Staten Road on Highway 15, five miles north of Ackerman, Mississippi. For further information about Macedonia Primitive Baptist Church, you may visit our website at macedonia-pbc.org.